Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I felt really strongly, you know, we, we, we say a lot of every, I feel like every church has its own kind of vocabulary and certain things that, that they say that maybe other churches don't say. And there's de- that's definitely true of Awaken Church. There's a vocabulary we have. We say things like, come on somebody. I didn't never, I never heard anybody say that till I got here. And now I hear everybody says it. I thought it was kind of weird. We say things like, favor ain't fair. And take a city, so good, Wow. Our church just kind of has a vocabulary, just just things that we say. And one of the things that you hear a lot here is things about taking cities, taking territory, claiming ground. And I think it's important to understand the why behind that. And I'm going to be honest, I feel like I found myself in this season, we are just a few days away from November 8th, election day, very important election in our our city and in our country. And as a church, of course, we've been very focused on that very important event and and making sure we get righteous men and women in power, people like Pastor Marco Contreras, like Jesse Vigil, like Karen Dominguez, very focused on that. And it is very important. But I feel like it's also important to always know the why behind the what. What, Why do we care about taking cities? It almost sounds like we're like pirates for Jesus, just going in and just taking what doesn't belong to us. But there's a very important why, a mission that God has sent us on and that God himself is on. And so I wanna really unpack that why, the purpose, the meaning. And... um, when I first, a lot of you guys know my story. When I first came to this church 10 years ago, I was a big mess. Um, was, it took me, Katie, that's enough. <laughs> Don't need to amen that. That's all right. So the whole first year, I sat through church like this. Arms crossed in the back. Basically grunting under my breath at everything that anybody said. When Pastor Jurgen would say, come on, let's lift our hands high to heaven, I would literally go like, who do you think you are telling me to lift my hands? I'm, I'm, I'm a free man. I do whatever I want. I'll lift my hands when I want to lift my hands. So that was where I started, come a long way. That took like about a year. I spent like a year like that. And then, you know, around year two and three, started to kind of soften up a little bit, just a little bit. Started to let some walls down and started to actually get some healing in some areas of my life. And I started to really, started to fall in love with, with the church, you know? This, you know, this church, but also the church and with God and all that a life of faith had to offer and was conflicted and deeply confused by that because I was even, and even we, we started to serve a little bit and just kind of just getting our, our, our feet wet at the church. And, um, and it was a, uh, I, I, again, I was conflicted. I was serving the church. And then about like, I probably like believed in God, like 50%. Like some days I did, some days I'm kind of not sure and kind of starting to serve and kind of felt like a phony a little bit. And, and I remember our life, was kind of going down this path and I could see 
this fork in the road approaching. And, and Katie will remember very well, I landed this opportunity that was just, it was like God himself, if he's real, this is me at the time, if he's real, not sure if I believe it, had, sh- had shown his face upon me, and I landed the coolest possible job in the world. I'd gone to Florence, Italy for part of my graduate work and met this man named Maurizio Saracini. If you want to watch the best TED Talk ever given, look up Maurizio Saracini. It's called The Secret Lives of Paintings, and he's the world expert on authenticating Renaissance art. That's pretty awesome. And I met him And he asked me to come be a part of a startup company he was doing where they were going to be using science to assess the authenticity of Renaissance art. And I'm like 25-year-old kid and somehow snuck into this amazing opportunity. We were going to be going to like Sotheby's auctions when they sell these paintings for tens of millions of dollars and then doing verifications. And I was just like... This is the single greatest thing that could have ever happened to anybody. Like the most amazing job, amazing career. Problem was, it was going to have me in Europe six months out of the year. We had an office in Luxembourg and it was going to be, you know, month here, month there, month here. And, and again, this fork in the road was approaching. And I knew that I was going to have to make a decision because I was falling in love with this church as weird as it was and as crazy as the people were. (laughs) There was just something about it. And I just, and I knew that if I were to take this job, that it would take me away from the church. I wouldn't be able to invest myself in the way that I felt like God was calling me to invest myself. And I remember essentially kind of came to a head where it was like, okay, like it's decision time. And we were being asked, you know, we were serving. And I think at that time we were being asked to be young adult connect group leaders. And it was, uh, I knew like it's decision time. What am I going to do? And I remember praying like, and I barely prayed because I didn't even know if anybody was listening. And I was like, God, if you're there, I need to know. I have one life to live, one life and if I give it all to this church and then find out at the end that I just believed some fairy tale, then I wasted my entire life. I can't do that. I've got to know. And I heard nothing. <laughs> Silence. But I made a decision, a conscious choice in my mind. And I decided, you know what? I don't have all the answers. And I wish God would have given me the answers. But I'm going to make a decision to live my life as if all this is real. I quit that job. I laid it down. And I had no idea what I was saying yes to. It wasn't like I had a crystal ball and saw what what path at church looked like. I had no clue. But I just made a decision. I'm going to live my life as if this is real. And the crazy thing is, after I took that step of faith... That's what faith is. Okay, if you have all the answers, it's not faith. It's knowledge. It's intellect. Faith is I don't know the answers, but I'm going to move anyways. And as soon as I made that step and, and said, I'm giving my life to this cause, I don't have the answers, it was then that God began to unpack things in my mind. And I will say one of, I feel like one of my great gifts that God has given me is an, an understanding of, of the mission, an understanding of the, the Christian worldview, where before it was 
was like just lost in doubt, always wondering, not understanding. And I feel like God has given me that gift because of that step of faith. And I think it's important for all of us to understand the mission that God has called us to. Title of my message is The Temple of Paradise. The Temple of Paradise. And so to understand this mission, the why behind the what, why we do everything, why, what God is, is up to, we got to go back to the very beginning, to a place called Eden. Now, Eden literally means place of pleasure or paradise. That's what Eden means. It means paradise. And Eden is where God walked with man and man walked with God. So quite literally, what paradise is, is being in the presence of God. That is paradise. It's being in the presence of God. Now, presence is not like on off. It's not A, B. It's not binary. There's a little bit of a continuum and every, every married man knows this. My wife, when we were newlyweds, would say, I just don't feel like we spend any time together. And I'm like, babe, we literally watched two Harry Potter movies back to back last night. I sat, there was two inches between us for like six hours. What do you mean? She's like, I know, but we didn't, we didn't talk about anything. We didn't, come on, every husband said amen. So there's a difference between being present and being present. Okay, so when I say that paradise is the presence of God, it's, it's the full presence of God. Nothing between you, completely unadulterated. That's what paradise is. The definition of paradise is presence with your creator. Everybody good? All right. Now, another important concept is this word we see in the Bible, and it's the word temple. And we see all kinds of temples all throughout the Old Testament. And, and it doesn't matter. Don't let that word be weird and, and mysterious. All temple means, are you ready? Profound definition. Where God is. That's the definition of a temple. Where God is. Okay? So, we're going to look at three different temples that we see in the Bible. And we'll see this picture, this connectedness throughout the Bible that everything from Old Testament to New Testament, the Bible was written in like four different languages by fishermen, by kings, by physicians, by people of different nations over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And somehow this one document written by all of these different people, different times, different cultures, different languages, all says one thing. One mission, one goal, one objective, which we're going to see. And the key to seeing it is in this idea of a temple. So point number one, the temple in the garden. The temple in the garden. Now I want you to hang with me, okay? We've got to unpack a few things. It's all going to come together at the end. Everybody good? Good? All right, good. Genesis 2, verses 8 through 9. And I know so many of us have heard this, but I want you to listen to the language very closely. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then a little bit later in Genesis 2, verse 15, a couple verses down, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
And then we know from Genesis 3, the Bible tells us that God would frequently walk the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, close with them, dwelling there in the garden. We also know that God gave Adam and Eve a mandate in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now you need to understand, every temple... And clearly, Eden is a temple because what do we define a temple as? Where God is. And the Bible says that God would walk in the Garden of Eden. And so Eden was a temple. Every temple has a structure, a configuration, and it has a high priest. So what is the structure of this temple? Got a little visual aid here for you. In Genesis 2, 8, which we already read, it says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So Eden was a land, and then a small subset of that, God planted a garden, and then within the garden was a little place that was even more sacred. It was this tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we see almost like these concentric circles of importance to God, of of holiness. And the closer you get, the more holy and more sacred it becomes. Make sense? Okay, so that's the structure of the temple. So who was the high priest of this temple? Every temple has a structure and a high priest. It was Adam. Now, notice the job that God gives to Adam. He says, have dominion over the birds of the air, fish of the sea, blah, blah, blah. Dominion is a king's job. A kingdom is a king's dominion. It's what kings do. They rule over their territory. And so God gave Adam the office, the mission of being a king, but that wasn't it. He also says that the Lord God took Adam, put him in the garden and asked him to tend it and to keep it. Now, you know, this is paradise. Come on, man's naked. His wife is naked and he's doing yard work. That sounds like paradise. Come on, somebody. Amazing. And God says, I want you to tend and keep this garden. And we read that and we think it means, you know, like pruning the hedges and like pulling the weeds. But that's not what it means. Those two words in Hebrew, tend and to keep, the only other place we see those Hebrew words are when God is giving instructions to the house of Levi for how they're supposed to interact with the temple in the Old Testament. He says in Numbers 3, you, house of Levi, who I've, I want you to tend to the needs of the temple. And so what God is actually saying to Adam is you're a king, have dominion. And he's not saying you're a king and a gardener. He's saying you're a king and a priest. You have priestly duties to do inside this temple, the Garden of Eden. The very first man was given the office of king and priest king and priest. Now, we know the story. Adam did not do a good job. He failed. He was supposed to tend and keep, keep the temple from being defiled, but the serpent came in and under his nose deceived his wife, planted seeds of distrust in humanity, and men and women turned their back on the God that made them and sent into the world. And the connection between God and man, this closeness, this intimacy, this paradise was shattered and fractured. And that's where we find ourselves at the end of point one. Very depressing, I know. If you're podcasting this, 
Don't turn it off. It's going to get better, I promise. We see from the very beginning, there's this fracture, this separation caused by the failure of Adam in the garden as the high priest, not fulfilling his duties. But then immediately we begin to see God's redemptive plan at work. Even from the very beginning, Adam and Eve realize they're naked. They cover themselves with fig leaves. And the Bible says that God said that these fig leaves are not a suitable covering. I will make a covering suitable for you. And he killed an animal and covered them with animal skins. From the very beginning, does that sound like a story you've heard before, that men and women will try to cover their own shame, but it will not be suitable. God will make a covering for them that comes through the death of something that covers their shame. Even from the very beginning, Genesis chapter three, God is already beginning his redemptive story to bring paradise back to earth. Point number two, the temple in the wilderness. So got to cover a lot of Bible history here, which not going to go into, into detail, but the story of the children of Israel is that they're in bondage in, um, well, first of all, God speaks to Abram, says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then, you know, starts having a bunch of kids. And now we have this, this Jewish race, the children of Israel, and, and then they get carted off into slavery in Egypt. And then God frees them from slavery through Moses goes through the Red Sea out of the, the, the bondage of the Egyptians. And they're walking in the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, God says something very interesting in Exodus chapter 25, verses eight through nine. He says, and let them, the children of Israel, make me, God, a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle. Tabernacle just means temple and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Interesting. Because remember, God originally dwelt with Adam in the garden. That was the original temple where God was. But then after Adam failed his duties as high priest, allowed the temple to be defiled, not once between Genesis chapter 3 and Exodus 25 do we see that Hebrew word dwelt. God only appears and speaks all the way 50 chapters of Genesis and 25 chapters of Exodus it just says that God appeared, God spoke. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. God appeared to Abram as a smoking fire pot, but it never says he dwelt until Exodus 25. We've got Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Joseph, Moses. And now he says, I want you to make me a temple that I may dwell among my people. And so we see the beginning of God's redemptive plan. Paradise was lost, but God begins to bring paradise back to earth little by little, and we'll see that. Dwell among them. I want you to make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among my people. And remember, every temple has a structure and every temple has a high priest. So what was the structure of this temple in the wilderness? Looked like this. Does that look familiar? It had an outer court, a holy place, and the holy of holies. Again, concentric circles of sacredness to God. It's interesting because this temple in the wilderness faced east. And so the high priest would enter through the gate of the holy place on the east. And on the gate was on the tapestry, was woven designs of cherubim, these angelic beings. 
And isn't it interesting that in Genesis chapter three, when Adam, the high priest who failed, was evicted out of the east gate and God put cherubim to guard the entrance to the temple. And so we see where Adam passed the cherubim and left out of the east, now in the beginning of God's redemptive plan, the high priest enters from the east and goes past the cherubim back into the presence of God. So again, we see an undoing of the fracturing that came when, the, when Adam, the original high priest, failed. So Adam escorted out of the east gate, and now the high priest comes into the presence of God through the east gate. But according to the, the way that God laid it out in the Old Testament, only one man could go into this, the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, just the high priest and only once a year. Okay, that's it. It was, it was very, it was segmented. It was while Adam and Eve were able to spend 24 hours a day, every single minute in the presence of God, after that was fractured, we begin to see in the wilderness a returning to that paradise, but only a little bit, just one day a year by one man. So that was the structure of this temple in the wilderness. Every temple has a structure and every temple has a high priest. Who is the high priest? It was supposed to be Moses. It was supposed to be Moses operating in the same office as Adam, a king and a priest. But Moses wasn't up for it. God said, hey, you're gonna be my guy. I got things for you to do. You're gonna be the deliverer. You're gonna lead my people. You're gonna be their king and priest. And Moses said, no, 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 listen, I'm not up for that. I can't do that. I'm scared. I have a stutter. I don't speak very well. And God's like, yeah, trust me, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'm, it turns out I'm actually God, so you're gonna be okay. And uh, Moses says, no, 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 no. Yeah, I can't do that. And finally God's like, sure, have it your way. I'll use Aaron as the high priest. And so this office of king and priest was actually split between Moses as the king and Aaron as the high priest. And I feel kind of bad for Aaron because it's like, He's like the, the B, B team. It's like, all right, well, Moses couldn't hack it, so I guess I'm calling you up. You're my next choice. But Aaron did it. And so the office of king and priest in this temple, in the temple in the wilderness, was held by Moses and by Aaron. And how amazing is it that I love that God can make plan B into plan A. It wasn't like Moses was like, I can't do it. And then God was like, shoot. What do I do? I was, I, I was counting on this. God's fine. He's going to work it out. And it's one of the great, I think, mysteries of our faith is the Romans 8.28 principle that God works all things together for good. He doesn't cause all things. He works all things together for good. And I remember when I was 19 years old, my dad died. My dad died really suddenly. He died of an opioid overdose and left my family in shambles. And it wasn't like God was like, shoot, I had a plan for Mike. But his dad wasn't there. He failed. Couldn't affirm him and build him up into the man that I need him to be. And so I don't have a plan B. You're going to have to use somebody else. God used the church and God didn't cause my dad to die. It wasn't, it wasn't my dad's time. There's a real enemy. There's a devil that seeks to destroy. And my dad died of succumbing to those poor lifestyle choices. He listened to the wrong voice. But it wasn't like God was like, well, just gonna have to use somebody else. God used his church. 
He sent three men into my life, Randy Owens, Larry Grayson, and Paul McDonald, that became father figures to me. And each one of them represented a different role of a true and complete father. Paul McDonald was a family man. He was stable. He just worked hard, um, would come home, have dinner with his family, and would invite me over for family dinner all the time so I could see what normal family life was like. And then Randy Owens was a, a businessman. He owned this concrete company. He gave me a job and let me work at his concrete plant. And he would pull me in and, and talk through decisions he was making and, and showed me what it looked like to be um, an entrepreneur and to be ambitious. And then Larry Grayson was a pastor of a church. And I lived with Larry and Larry showed me what it meant to, to follow God and to, to, and he discipled me. God worked with plan B to make it plan A. Come on somebody. And I love that Moses, part of God's huge redemptive plan. God's like, Moses, I'm doing something here. Okay. I'm restoring paradise and you're getting in the way. Say yes. And Moses, mm. but God's like, you know what? All good. I can work with it. And I love that. And so that's the second temple we see, just the beginning of the, the restorative plan of God bringing paradise back to earth. And point three, where it all comes together, the temple in you. The temple in you. You know, the disciples and the early followers, followers of Jesus were so Confused, They had such a hard time getting their head around what Jesus was up to because they had been believing and all of their Old Testament scriptures had talked about this Messiah that was gonna come and restore the kingdom of Israel, restore the kingdom of God. And so they're thinking that's a physical kingdom that he's gonna show up. The, the, when Jesus shows up on the scene, Israel is under Roman occupation. So he thinks, the, the, I'm sorry, the disciples think that Jesus is going to come in and be this, this military political leader who is going to restore a physical kingdom. And Jesus is like, no, you guys don't get it. My kingdom is not of this world. And they're just like, what? What do you, that doesn't even make any sense. And it took them seeing him die and raise to life again to understand that his kingdom isn't of this world. His kingdom doesn't take up physical territory on earth. His kingdom is the hearts of men and women all over the world. First Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Everything we see in the Old Testament, everything is a physical picture of a supernatural reality in the New Testament. And so you, me, we are the temple of God. What do we know about temples? Every temple has a structure and every temple has a high priest. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, 23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a diagram of the temple of you. Does that look familiar? You have a body that was made by God, fashioned by God, but 
It's of this world. It's decaying. It is, it is the, the flesh of this earth. You have a soul. Your soul is your personality. It's what makes you, you. It's how your creator wired you. And we know this to be true, right? If somebody sings a song or plays um, a piece of music, we would say, oh my gosh, that was so soulful. And what we're saying is that they put them, you can, you can hear themselves in it, the essence of the artist. We can feel who they are in that performance, in that music, in that, that song, whatever it is. That's what your soul is. It's, the, it's your personality, your wiring, but your spirit is the holy of holies and the temple of you. It is the eternal part of you, the part of you that is connected to God. And so who is the high priest of the temple of you? From the very beginning, Genesis chapter three, when paradise was lost, in that moment, and every single chapter of the Bible, through the entire Old Testament, all the way up, is about one thing, Jesus, everything. The minute, the minute Adam and Eve were separated from God, God began his redemptive story by giving us a prophetic picture saying, the covering you have for yourselves is not suitable. God kills an animal and covers them saying one day, a death will happen that will cover the shame and the nakedness of humankind forever. Everything is about Jesus, the great and ultimate high priest. John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the one of the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt literally means tabernacled, templed. Jesus came and templed among us, dwelt with us. Everything, everything, your entire Bible, every character, every story points to this man to the high priest, Jesus, who comes to rule over the final iteration of the temple, which is us. Adam, Adam was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Adam was a high priest that was tempted in a garden, but he failed and did not obey. Jesus was a high priest that was tempted in a garden. But instead of saying, you know, get me out of this. I don't, he said, Lord, if there's a way out, great. But if not, your will, not my will be done. Jesus was the Adam that passed the test in the garden. Moses is a picture of Jesus. The man that stands up to the tyrant of this world says, let my people go. And then delivers them out of their slavery, out of their bondage into a promised land. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. Abraham is a picture of Jesus Christ. Abraham through obedience said, God, I will go wherever you have me go. And out of Abraham, an entire nation was born. Out of Jesus, an entire nation of Christians, men and women that call him Lord was born through his obedience. Joseph, is a picture of Jesus. Joseph stood at the right hand of the king 
in front of his brothers that betrayed him and sold him into slavery to die. And instead of using his power to condemn them, used his power to provide for them, to deliver them, to protect them and to save them. Jesus stands at the right hand of the king and stands in front of those of us who betrayed him and turned our back on him. And instead of using his power to destroy us, he uses his power to deliver us, to provide for us, to save us. Job is a picture of Jesus, a man that suffered innocently, an innocent man that suffered tremendously, but then prays to God for his friends, intercedes for his friends that, that mocked him, that betrayed him, that spoke poorly of him. And Job, an innocent man, suffered and prayed for his friends and, and, and interceded on their behalf. Jesus suffered innocently and prayed for us, interceded for us on our behalf. Jonah is a picture of Jesus. Jonah was in a boat at sea and a storm came because of the wrath of God. And he was thrown into darkness for three days in order to save the people on the ship. Jesus was thrown into darkness for three days to save those that were under the wrath of God. David is a picture of Jesus standing up before a giant and saying, you dare defy the armies of the living God while the rest of his people, every other Israelite cowered in fear, not brave enough to do anything. And David, a picture of Jesus, took down the giant on his own without anybody else having to lift a finger. And in the same way, Jesus took down the giant, the Goliath, of sin and death in our world without us having to lift a single finger. I say all of that, I know that was a lot to unpack, but all of that needs to be understood to understand this, that everything we do at church, everything we do as believers, taking cities, winning elections, buying buildings, um, evangelizing in our city, signs, wonders, miracles, all of that, all of it is to fulfill the original mandate of Adam. Now there is a really weird sort of, like it's like God was confused in the garden because God gave Adam like two jobs, kind of. And it's, I'm sure Adam was like, okay, you need to make up your mind. You're being a little bipolar here. He said, it says that God put Adam in the garden to tend and to keep it. And then he says, I want you to go fill the earth, multiply, subdue it. So Adam's like, okay, wait, do I stay in the garden or do I go into all the earth? I don't understand. I'm very confused. Because if I tend to the garden and stay here and make sure it's in good shape, then I neglect going out into the world and conquering and having dominion. If I go out into the world and have dominion and take territory, then I neglect the garden. So what do I do? And so it must mean that the original mandate of Adam and Eve was to take the garden and stretch its bounds little by little until the garden covered the entire face of the earth such that the temple was the earth, that the entirety of the earth was the dwelling place of God. 
that's our mandate. But now it's not a garden, it's you, it's me. It's the hearts of men and women all over the world. Our job is to take the garden, which is the temple, which is us, and stretch its bounds until it covers the entirety of the earth such that every heart on this earth is the dwelling place of God. That's what it's all about, everything. And it's so important that we remember that that's the why. And I wanna, just as we wrap here, encourage you because Katie and I said yes to this mission you know, like seven years ago. And, and again, I want you to understand, like we didn't know what it meant. It wasn't like God was like, all right, you know, you got this career trajectory, but if you, if you come to me, hop over to this side, we're gonna go here, 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 here. It wasn't any of that. It was a step of faith that God, I, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what you're gonna do, but I trust that there's, you're gonna do something. And I just, I wanna encourage you that our yes has been the greatest honor and privilege of my life that we, we live in a level of gratitude and humility that I could, didn't even know that God would choose me, a messed up rascal, to, to do something meaningful is so, and all it was was saying yes to that mission. And it's not just us, ask anybody, any of our ordained pastors, anybody on the front row, every single one of them have said yes to this mission. And every single one of them would tell you that it has been met with joy, with peace, with excitement, with fun. Doesn't mean that everything is gonna be perfect. Actually, it means there's gonna be, there's gonna be some warfare around, around this life. The promise of God is not that if you make yourself his temple, that everything is gonna go well. What he says, the promise of God is that I will be with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Psalm 91 says that I will be with you in the day of trouble. And God being with you is enough. Doesn't matter what else befalls you, what else comes into your path, God with you is enough. Isn't it interesting that the picture of the garden and the mandate God gave Adam and Eve was to extend the bounds of this garden until it covered the entire earth. And what do we call it when we go start a new church? You go and plant a church. Isn't that interesting? It's a seed of paradise. It's a seed in the garden. That's why we buy buildings. That's why we have a vision for 16 campuses in San Diego. We're planting, we're planting growing the garden, growing paradise on earth until there is not one heart, not one mind, not one mouth that hasn't confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the mission. That's what we're doing. And I want to just pray for a couple of people. So I'd love to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Why don't we just hop to our feet really quick as we close. I want to just pray for two groups of people. And the first one, it's kind of hard to be a part of this mission if you are not actually yourself a temple yet. And remember, a temple is just where God is. Have you actually invited God into your life? In Revelation, it says that Jesus stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. 
And he says, if you will open the door, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. And Jesus doesn't kick down the door of our hearts and barge in because that's not, imagine if when I first met Katie, I like clubbed her over the head like a caveman and drug her back to my cave and said, you will love me. That's not love. Love requires reciprocation. And so Jesus gives us an invitation, standing at the door of our heart and knocking. He doesn't come in, but he says, if you open the door for me, then I will come in. And I believe there's some of you in here that need to do that, to open the door of your heart. And all that looks like, it's not some weird incantation, mythical, whatever. It's just a, a decision to believe. Just like I did years and years ago, where I didn't have all the answers. I didn't have it all figured out. And it took everything in me, but I just made a decision. I, there's just something just this tiny little feeling that I can't shake, that doesn't make sense, it doesn't, it doesn't gel with, with my intellect and the, and the knowledge, but you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a decision to believe. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you here in a second, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to raise your hand and I'm gonna walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And that prayer is a prayer of belief. I'm just gonna kind of give you the words to pray out loud and believe. And then the Bible says that you will be saved. You will be restored. Your spirit will be reconnected with the God that made you. You will become a temple that God will dwell within because of the high priest, Jesus. There is one mediator, the book of Timothy tells us, one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. And so if you need to make that decision today, and maybe you've never walked with God, maybe this is your first time ever, or maybe you grew up in church and you know, once walked with God, but you've fallen away, slipped away, life got in the way, who cares, whatever. But you know that God is calling you back to him today. I want you to lift your hand here in a second when I count to three. So if that's you in either of those groups of people, one, two, three, who needs to make that decision today? Come on. Amazing. Who needs to make that decision to come back to the God that made you to be a temple, a temple where peace will dwell. Part of the mission to expand the temple of God, his presence all over the earth. Anybody need to make that decision today? I wanna to pray for another group of people. And that's those of you that you're believers, but you haven't given your all in yes. And I'm gonna give you some practical steps. The biggest one is when you leave here, walk over to the info booth and say, hey, I'd like to go to DNA next Sunday during the 11 a.m. service. Look at you signed up. DNA is where you learn who we are, what we believe how you get plugged in on a team, start serving in the church. We wanna get you involved in a connect group to be connected to like-minded people that will sharpen you, that will bring you up. And so if that's you, and you know that God is, pull, again, you're, you're on, on the team, going to heaven, awesome, but you know that God is, is beckoning you to be a part of the mission, to get into the game, to be a part of the telling of the greatest story ever told. I wanna to pray for you, I want you to lift your hand if you know that's you right now. You know that God is calling you to, to, to go deeper, to, to step in, to, to say yes to a calling. Wow, not one person in the entire church. Okay, <laughs> great, okay, there we go. That's what I thought. I knew I heard right, come on. I'm gonna pray for you guys. Come on, let's stretch our hands out towards these people. God, I thank you so much. God, that you're on the move. God, I thank you. 
God, that there is a mission you have for every single one of us, God. And it is a mission of adventure, of excitement, of destiny, of legacy. It's a mission that will bring great joy into our lives. It is a mission that will bring great excitement, God. God, an, an adventure with risk. And God, I pray right now for every every person that that is one foot in, one foot out, God, that it says, God, I, I want to believe. I want to, I want to go all in, but I'm scared. I don't know what it means for my business. I don't know what it means for my family. I don't know what it means for, for whatever. God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them right now, that you would say, trust me, trust me. I am a good father. I have your best interest at heart, God. And I pray that you would begin to move in power in the lives of the men and women of this church, God, that we would see an unlocking in our city, an unlocking in our community, that you would use us as your vice regents in the earth. God, I pray that you would fill us with power. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Give us the words when we don't have the words. God, I pray that everything we touch, God, as we go into our workplaces, as we go into the holidays, as we're around men and women in our community, God, that they would say, what is it about you? How is it that you're living this life that no matter what befalls you, I see you so filled with peace, so stable, and you'll be able to point them to the God that made them. God, we pray for revival. We pray for an awakening in the south region of San Diego. We pray it all in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Come on. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.